Good evening. Welcome to Element City Church. Glad to have you all who are here in the room uh, or those of you joining us online. We are thrilled to have you here. So especially if you happen to be new, I met a couple of you. We want to invite you uh, to download our free app. You can get that in the app store. You can go to uh, whatever app store you have. Just type in Element City Church and you can follow along. On there, you can fill out a connection card. That's a way for us to connect with you. And uh, you'll get it's a couple quick texts and we'll follow up with you. And I want to personally invite you to our 10-minute party which is happening in that back corner there. And if you knew, I would love to meet you and hand you the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. Like, we're not joking. It is legit. It's the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. If you're new, it's just for you. If you come here all the time, you don't get it. Um, It's just for new people. So we'd love to have you fill out the connection card. You can also just text the word hello to our text number, 520-340-6868. One of the things I love about our church is how we do community real well. We got to celebrate uh, Lyle this week as he turned 40, and many of you showed up to a a surprise party for him. That was not really a surprise, but we just have fun celebrating. E-groups get together throughout the week and do a bunch of different things. And so just excited for you to participate and be a part of community. So if you're not plugged into anything yet, just invite you to be thinking about maybe an e-group or a discipleship group or onto a serve team. Uh, we serve on the second Saturday of every month. We do a second Saturday food distribution. That's an easy on-ramp to serve with us. You can either help us pack the food Friday morning or here on the second Saturday to hand that out. And so that's just ways for you to get connected around here. So also the other thing I'll point out on the app, in case you want to follow along on sermon notes, I know we've, we, we can talk about this, but we've never really showed you. So if you scroll down, Wow, this is how the app works. You scroll down and you hit sermon notes. It actually takes you to the notes. You can follow along with me tonight. We're going to continue in our series in First and Second Thessalonians that we started last week. But tonight, uh, as we do every week, we're going to pray for the Church of the Week. Uh, several churches around town pray for a Church of the Week because here's the reality. There's a million plus people that aren't connected into any church or any faith community in southern Arizona. And elements can't reach everyone. And so we want to pray for for the church to have a reach and impact across our city and across our region. So tonight we're praying for St. Andrew's Presbyterian and Pastor Pete and Pastor Matt. There they are good, good friends of mine. And this church does so much in our community that you probably never even know about. So if you're here in the house, I'm going to invite you to stand up with us. We're going to dive into worship. We're going to look into God's word. We're going to end with worship. That's kind of where we're going. But let's pray for the church of the week and for our time together tonight. So, Father, we want to pray for Pastor Pete and Matt at St. Andrew's Press. You've given them such an incredible reach across our city. They have such a heart to reach uh, the marginalized and to help, and you've given them great impact in their region in northwest Tucson. And so we're just asking your blessing over them in all ways. God, would you continue to leverage them for the kingdom good? and that you would give wisdom and discernment to Pete and Matt and to their whole team and staff there. God, we're praying for our time together tonight, whether we're joining online or here in the room. God, we we give this next hour and such to you and just ask, Father, would we encounter your spirit tonight? Would we lean in and have an experience with you where we're refreshed, where we're renewed, where each one of us, wherever we might be in our journey with you, that there would be something that you whisper to us as we now turn and whisper worship and praise and honor and glory back to you, Jesus. All this is for you, Jesus. And we look to you in all things. Our affection, our attention is given to you now. Would you inhabit the praises of your people? And all God's people said, amen.
worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea. My God, he holds a victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. Shout out your praise, it's joy in the house of the Lord. 
tonight together. I'm going to be more like Jesus. Amen. You are my life and my treasure. The one that I can't live without. Here at your feet my desires and dreams I lay down. Here at your feet my desires and dreams I lay down If more of you means less of me take everything Yes, all of you is all I need take everything If more of you means less of me Take every 
Father, you're so faithful and you're so good. And I don't know what you're doing around here, but you're doing something. I just looked down here and seeing these kids dancing around and to know where we were three, six months ago and this, as leadership of this church, just praying for that, seeing you answer that. We thank you and man, we're just so excited to, to be a part of what you're doing that you'd ask us to come along for the ride. God, you are our hope, your cross, your persistent pursuit of us gives us hope, God. You're a living, living hope, alive and on the move in this church, in your church. We are your people and you are our God. Make us holy like you are. Be with us tonight. I pray that you would be with, with Jack, that your words would fill him with everything that you want each of us to leave here tonight with. And that these wouldn't be empty words, Lord. I pray that we'd just catch them, we'd hold them, hold on to the truth. that it would soak and marinate throughout the week as we're active agents for who you are. Because, man, we don't want this. This church doesn't, it's just not Sundays, God. It's who we are each and every day. So make us more like Jesus. Make us more like your son. That's why we sing that. We love you. We're excited you're on the move tonight. We pray we'd look a little bit more like your son when we leave. We could take it to a world that needs it. And everybody said amen. to hear that sound. Just kids running down the hall. That's such a cool sound. Um, you know, as Gabe was sharing too, just want to encourage you as we've been rolling out uh, vision and, and mission recently, if you, if you haven't caught those couple messages or you missed those, to go back in the app and catch up with us in that is something that we're going to spend the next five years kind of chasing after and invite you into that journey with us and Part of one of the little challenges we gave you is to, to make it a goal to pray with someone every week. That what if the church actually not just said, hey, I'll pray for you, but actually prayed with someone. And what if we all did that? And we, we even said, okay, we 150 people doing it every week. It's like 7,500 people a, a year. And, and like just the impact of what God can do. We're asking God to do what only he can do. Uh, and we're just trying to partner with him in that. And so if, if you're new to that, just that's one of our goals that we've thrown out. And so be looking this week, be on that lookout for how you can actually pray with someone. 
uh, and, and for them. So we started into a, a new series last week. Uh, every so often, we'll, we kind of do topical series, and then we go through different books of the Bible, and we're spending a little bit of time this fall, Lyle and I, he'll be teaching next week, going through the book of First and Second Thessalonians, which the Apostle Paul wrote. It's kind of toward the tail end of the New Testament, so if you have your Bibles, you can go there. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 2, or if you have the Handy Dandy app, you can open it up, go to Sermon Notes, and you can follow along with everything that I'm going to talk about a little bit tonight. Uh, this was a letter that Paul writes. He visits uh, this town, this uh, Thessalonica, kind of this area. It, it's near Mesopotamia at the time with Silas and Timothy in about 50 AD. And there's a lot of persecution going on in this region. And he's actually kicked out of the town. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17. This is kind of how it starts. He and his, com his compadres are kind of kicked out, ushered out of the town pretty soon after that, a few weeks, maybe a month or two into the launching of this early church. And then he sends Timothy back to get a report. Timothy comes back with that report, and then he writes these letters to the people there that started this church following after Jesus. So in about 51, 52 AD, these letters arrive to that church, that young uh, kind of new church plant, if you will. And Paul had said, listen, this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And so there's lots of different people in this city. There's Romans that are there. Obviously, this is an occupied territory. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Asians. There's Greek. There's a, a big Jewish settlement in there. That's how he actually starts this, is going to the synagogue. And so there's just a, a melting pot of people, a lot of commerce. Uh, it's a big trade route uh, in the, the early time of the first, second century period. And so a lot going on in there. And what I want to do tonight is get into chapter two. We kind of did chapter one last week and pulled out some principles for us of what does it mean to have an authentic kind of faith. So if you missed that, you can catch up with that. Uh, but tonight, I want to get real applicable, kind of a lot of application into this and look at what Paul kind of models and what he calls for us to kind of say, in, for lack of a better word, just kind of live this way. That's kind of what he's saying. Uh, live this way uh, in chapter 2. So I want to read uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 2 out loud and just kind of let it sit with us for a minute as you kind of let it wash over you. And so if you have the app, you can follow along. I'll just read it with us and just kind of let these words wash over you. We'll lean into it together. We'll, we'll kind of dig down a little bit, drill into it. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we were treated in uh, Philippi and just became, before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God, entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we've never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make demands on you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives also. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled, earning a living that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news. 
You yourself are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live lives in a way God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. And so tonight, as you kind of let that ring around in your heart a little bit, maybe there was a phrase or a word that jumped out to you, I want to pull out four different applications that I think we see and hear from Paul of not only what he spoke about, but what he modeled and what he kind of called to the people, hey, imitate this. Uh, What's interesting is Paul, in several different of his letters, he wrote half the New Testament, in several different places, not out of arrogance, but out of deep devotion to Jesus, he said, look, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate and follow after Christ. And this wasn't a statement of, hey, I'm better than you. It was a statement of, uh, this is the progress and and the movement I'm on, and this is what I'm about, and I want you to kind of follow in alignment with that, which is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples. Hey, this is the way I'm going. I want you to follow after me. Not just know stuff about me. We want to be a follower, not just a fan of Jesus. We talk a lot about that around here. And so tonight, I want to reflect on four different things that we see in uh, the life of Paul that we want to emulate in his teaching so that we could be pleasing to God and also be people who build up and speak life into others. And the first one kind of finds right out in verse 2, and it's this. We're to prioritize God's opinion over people's opinion. Verse uh, 4 is what he says. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in a, a country called America. Did you realize that? And in our country, there's an undercurrent where so much of what we do is trying to be people pleasers. Maybe so much of what you have grown up around, maybe grown up in and your upbringing and your home was about trying to keep the peace and please the people that you were around. Maybe that was just kind of the the blanket that hung over your family or your family dynamic in that. And maybe that's how it operates at your workplace, that you don't want to rock the boat, and so just everyone kind of fall in line and just please the, the boss, please the people around you. And, and so much of our, uh, our economy, so much of our, uh, just the undercurrent of how we see relationships and work relationships really comes down to pleasing people. I say that as a recovering people pleaser. And I say recovering because I'm still working on it. So much of my own insecurity at times is based on people's opinions of me and not wanting to disappoint or not wanting to frustrate or not wanting to discourage the people around me. And what I'm learning is A, I'm not perfect, and B, I will never please everyone. In fact, as your pastor, I might even hurt your feelings at times. I may say some things that ruffle your feathers and get under your skin. As the people pleaser, Jack, I want to say, ooh, I'm sorry, I don't want that. But as the shepherd, I want to say, you know what, sometimes that's necessary. Not in a mean-spirited way, but in a way that's calling people to something better 
and calling me to something better. And so I just shared that openly and honestly. And I think sometimes if we were just open and honest with ourselves and with the people around us, maybe we wouldn't get stuck trying to live to please people. Now, life is a series of choices. Some of you or some of those choices will shape the course of your life. If you want to see the trajectory of your life, look at your choices and decisions. They will show you where you're going. And that's a reality of life that we all live by. And so choosing has to begin with realizing, hey, I can't have it all. I can't accomplish everything. And so I've got to choose what matters most and what I think I can do. You have a bandwidth of energy. You have a bandwidth of resource. You have a bandwidth of time. So do I. And we all live in the constraints of that. There's only one who lives outside of that constraint, and that is God himself. And so you have edges, you have boundaries, you have limits, and so do I. And so based around our choices that we make in life, that determines the impact, it determines our decisions, and determines our choices. And so ultimately woven into all those choices is an all-encompassing desire that Paul's pointing out. Hey, let your desire be that you want to please God first and foremost. Because if you live to please people, you will live stuck and you will get sideways more often than not. But if you live to please God, then other things will actually work out. And there may be ruffled feathers and there may be relationships that go sideways and you can't control everything. But live to please God above all things. Paul made that a point stressing the importance of pleasing God rather than being concerned about pleasing others. Ultimately, it is God alone who judges the motive of your heart and the motive of mine. And people pleasing is an exhausting way to live. It is. And friends, I, I want to save you the trouble that I've had to navigate. I've had to learn. You cannot please everybody. And you cannot solve everything. And you cannot fix everything. And so you have to choose in the moments of your decisions with your time, your energy, your resource, your focus, your abilities to say, I, the best I know how in the moment I'm in, God, I want to please you first and foremost. I'd love to please family. I'd love to please friends. I'd love to please coworkers. I'd love to do all that. But first and foremost, I want to make sure I'm right with you. And with whatever energy and effort and resource I have left, I'll do my best over here. But I'm going to leverage my life first and foremost to live to please God. Paul's saying, listen, you will have the best possible life if you live with that at the forefront of how you live. And so maybe the question for us to ponder tonight is the truth to kind of let it weigh in your heart and rattle around your mind is with every choice that you have, every decision that comes before you, ask this question. Will this choice be pleasing to God? Will this decision that I have to make, will this choice that I'm choosing, I'm getting ready to choose, will it be pleasing to God? And let that be your first question. And then you can let it roll out to, will it be pleasing to family? Will it be pleasing to friends? Will it be pleasing to coworkers? You can ask those questions, but let the first question be, will this be pleasing to God? 
We can choose to try to please a spouse, a boss, a friend, family, but ultimately we're measuring our life against the call of God upon our life and his grace poured out upon us through Jesus. And it's his opinion and his thoughts that should matter most. And so live with that. The second practice we see in these verses that's laid out here, invited us into, is we're to practice and live with integrity. Integrity is this sense of wholeness as a person and the wholeness of our character. It is not the idea of perfection. Often people will take integrity to be, well, that person is a person of integrity, meaning they're perfect. Listen, no, ain't nobody perfect. There was one. There still is one. His name is Jesus. It's way above your pay grade. Okay? So, like, the reality is be a person of integrity, of wholeness, of wholeness in your character. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. What it means is that what you see is what you get. There's non-divisiveness within how I live to the best of my ability, to the best of your ability. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 6, he says this, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor were we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who test our hearts. We know we never used flattery. You did not put, uh, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. What Paul and Silas and Timothy recognize is what the prophet Jeremiah said so many years before that. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Paul acknowledged that it is possible for us to be deceitful and have impure motives and be manipulative in our actions. Anyone ever been manipulative? Three of you. Bull. (laughs) Okay? I'll call it out. Everyone here has been manipulative. That's the reality of human life and how we try to get our way sometimes. We try to leverage that. That's why he speaks to ensure the readers that he lived to the best of his ability a life of integrity among them. He did not flatter anyone. He did not pretend to be a friend in order to get something from them. And the last thing in his mind was to get praise from them or to have them say nice things about him. He made it a practice to live a life of authenticity and integrity in a world and among his Christian friends. And he would say to you, it would be nice if you did the same. It would be nice if I did the same, to the best of our ability that we live with that. Again, integrity is not perfection. It's about authenticity and a sense of wholeness in who you are. And when you recognize a fault, that you own it and you work through it. It's a test of trueness in our life. What you see is what you get. Your life is sound. Anyone here ever been in the Navy before? Uh, in the Navy, uh, there's submarines, right? And so I had a friend, uh, Mike, who in college worked on a submarine, a, um, a nuclear sub. And usually when the submarines are manufactured and they're dry docked first, they don't build them underwater. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, but they build them outside the water, and then they put them in the water, and they actually put them out to a what's called a sea trial. It's actually what some officers call it is the shakedown cruise. 
It's when they take the sub and they submerge it deep into the water and the pressure of the water kind of pulls all around it and what they're looking for is faulty work in the manufacturing of that sub. Uh, was there a screw that's not quite tight and all of a sudden the pressure of the sea around it is beginning to expose and show. So not like it's not full of people when it goes down. Because why? Because if there's something wrong, not so good, right? And so like there's a pressure in this. It's this shakedown cruise. And friends, I know for you and for me, there are moments and seasons that you will navigate in your life that will be a shakedown cruise for you. I know that because I've lived through it. I've lived through the shakedown cruise where it was moments where it was about a test of my integrity and a test of how, are, how am I going to react in this moment. And sometimes I got it right, sometimes not so right. But that moment, that shakedown cruise will come for you and will come for me, it'll come again. There will be moments in our life where we're kind of face the pressure of the world around us, the scenarios, the situations, the seasons that you're navigating, whether that's at work, whether that's in life, whether that's in family dynamics, whatever it may be. And in that moment, the pressure that's around, in a lot of ways, God's allowing that to happen, to show what's really there. And if you will lean into it, and if, honestly, if you will walk into it, it will actually reveal a lot about yourself and it'll show you some of the things that God still wants to work on in your own heart. It will be a testing moment that actually helps produce better character and a deeper well and reservoir to live for Jesus than any other time in your life. And I say that as a survivor of that. I didn't want to go through that. Nobody does. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's highly confusing. It's really discouraging. But in moments like that, it's God. I don't see it clearly. I don't know where it's going. But I want to please you first and foremost. And I want to be what you see is what you get. To the best of my ability. I want to follow you. And in that season, friend, I'm telling you, you'll learn things about yourself. See, your character matters to God. It matters a lot. And he's called us to live with pure motives, not manipulation. See, the difference between manipulation and encouragement is often motive. Paul lived with no arrogance or ignorance or impurity or deceit or flattery, ulterior motives, not seeking man's glory. The value of Paul's encouragement to this early church was due in part to the motive he had to write to them and to cheer them forward in life. It was the motive of a, he talks about as a, as a mother who would feed their child or a father who's protecting their child, like this familial kind of reflection the right kind of motive, because our motives are meant to be pure. See, sometimes we can have kind deeds from mixed motives, can't we? We've all done it. 
Uh, there was an example in Miami, Florida, some vandals cut down six royal palm trees uh, along Flagler Street. The palms were very expensive, and Dade County authorities weren't sure if they would actually have the money to replace them. But someone stepped forward and donated six more and even had them planted in the original spot. The old ones were about 15 feet tall and provided a nice foreground to a giant billboard that said, Fly Delta. The new palm trees were 35 feet tall and they completely covered up the billboard. Guess who donated those? Eastern Airlines. <laughs> Said, hey, we'll help you. We'll take care of that for you. We know that's a hardship in the county. Maybe we can't afford that, so we got it. And so they stepped forward to help and blocked out the billboard for Delta. See, we can find impure motives to actually have kind deeds. And my hunch is you've lived your life that way at times. So have I. Try to put a little honey on something and actually to get your way. And maybe you never said it, but that was the intent, the motive behind it. And it doesn't mean you can't be nice, but it does mean, hey, let's examine our motives with that. We want to live as people who live with the right kind of motives, integrity and character, in a world that certainly puts, uh, shall we say, different displays of brokenness and faulty examples before us all. Uh, all you have to do is watch the news and see it. There were hucksters and charlatans in the days of the early church, and there still are today. Devoted followers of Jesus have been swindled and unwittingly built mansions and bought planes and expensive automobiles and financed luxury lifestyles for many religious leaders. Look at TV preacher scandals throughout the 80s and the 90s, and we even hear some of today. Uh, there's a popular Instagram account that exposes uh, or kind of brings to light some extravagant preachers. It's Preachers in Sneakers. You can look it up if you want. Ben Kirby started watching worship songs on YouTube and identified many of the leaders and preachers as wearing sneakers worth more than 800 to 1200 and upwards dollars. Also wore designer outfits worth thousands. He started an Instagram account within the first month, had 100,000 followers. In an interview with the Washington Post, here's what he said. He questioned the blatant extravagance of someone preaching about Jesus and began asking, how much is too much? Like, is it okay to get rich off of preaching about Jesus? And maybe the call is for us to practice what we preach. And maybe that's a slogan that everyone resonates with. We expect our leaders, no matter who they are, to maintain certain standards of decency and uphold some values that they profess, that they support. Kirby continues to show the dissonance between what some people say and the details even in their clothing. Like, for example one who was wearing Gucci slippers at $1,100, or a Jordan 1 retro high Dior sneakers at $7,200, a Supreme uh, Louis Vuitton denim parka at $9,600, or a belt for $2,500. Listen, I got my chucks from Kohl's, my jeans from Old Navy, and I drive a Jeep that has 321,000 miles on it. I'm not tooting my horn. I'm just saying, like, I think we need to be people who practice what we preach. I'm wearing a shirt from Paul Obachensky. Shout out to you, Paul. Keep healing up. Paul's overcoming cancer and just finished his last surgery as a musician here in town. And uh, Paul, we're praying for you.
keep healing up. And uh, I think that the point is, I think that practice what you preach, maybe it just comes down to, do I let the values of God direct my life more than the values of the world around me? At the end of the day, I think that's what it means to live with integrity. That I let the, the values of God, if I'm living to please him, and I want to live with integrity, if I, let, if I let the values that God values dictate more and direct more of my life than the values of the world and what it shouts around me. I'm not putting people on blast for having things. You can have things. I'm not trying to downplay that. But I think a soundness of life, one that stands up to the pressures around us, that's found to be trueness and sound in who it is, is it just lets the values of God direct their life and how they live more than the values of the world around us. Aristotle was the one who said so long ago, virtue is not an act, but a disposition. It's a habit. Who we really are determines what we do. And when we are people who live to please God and bless others, guess what? You will do things that please God and bless others. It's how it works. So maybe the question for us to wrestle with is when you begin to say, is what I'm thinking or what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do coming from a pure heart or a place of integrity? Maybe that's the question we need to wrestle with as we go through these decisions and choices that you have to make and that I do too. A third thing Paul writes here that we see, that we're to live with mind, we're to live mindful of others and investing in them. He said this verse 7 and 11, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. This familial image that he has in this letter is something that says, listen, from a very pure motive, he's trying to lovingly care for these people. When we think of children, we think of innocence and vulnerability. We do not think of children being threatening. When we think of a mother feeding her child, we think of a maternal image of a mother lovingly and gently nursing her child along. When we think of a father, we think of a, a paternal image of a father lovingly guiding and protecting his children. His care and concern is for them and over them. This imagery of family, what Paul is saying, is to be this caring kind of home. Now listen, I know that doesn't describe every home here or every home that you grew up in, but ideally that's what it's calling for. You remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? You remember that it's a children's TV show that began airing in 1968 all the way to the year 2000. 895 episodes. In 1997, Mr. Rogers won the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. This is an excerpt from his acceptance speech. Here's what he said. So many people have helped me come to this night. Some of you are here. Some of you are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who loved us into being. Would you take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Think of those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. Let's take 10 seconds of silence, he said. I'll watch the time. So let's do it. Who has helped you become you? 10 seconds.
the people that begin to pop into your mind are the people that God has used to shape you, to invest in you, to build into you, to speak life into you. Whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be, he said, to know the difference that they made in your life. And maybe even this week, you want to send them a text or you want to send them a note. All of us who have special ones who have loved us into being part of the family of God, some are here, some are far away, some are in heaven. But if you just take a few minutes to reflect, you all and I have spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters who have invested in helping make you, you. And a friend, think about this. You now are to be the people who turn around and do that for someone else. That's what Mr. Rogers was saying. I got here because of other people, and I'm hoping that the investment I'm making in others will help other people get to where they need to go. Some of you do this through serving in our next generation, blessing our e-kids, our students. Some of you do this through mentoring or discipleship leading groups, serving others in our community. Some of you do this through foster care and adoption, and you are making an eternal, life-changing, life-altering kind of difference. Some of you do this by loving on neighbors or coworkers or friends as God directs, and you're investing yourself into them for their best and God's best. And they may not even know it yet, but your investment will go. So maybe the question to wrestle with is, how am I being mindful and engaging in the nurturing of others to help them grow in faith? Who will one day look back and remember me for the contribution I made to them. Friend, you have the opportunity to do that. Fourthly, I think what Paul's saying here is that we want to become people who continually speak life into others. Our world needs more encouragers in Christ. Here's what he says, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy for he called you to share in his kingdom and in his glory. In other words, Paul worked at encouraging this early church, these people, because he really loved them, because he really wanted them to be obedient to God. He had the right motive to be an encourager. And the reason most of us sometimes are weak at this is not just technique, it's because our heart is misaligned. Because either we don't care enough or we don't have enough love for the other person because we're so busy trying to love ourselves. And we're stuck on that. In a culture that preaches me first, it is sometimes difficult to cheer for others first. But as followers of Christ, we want to be those kind of people who at the very core of who we are, because Christ came to serve us and he sought us first, that we can turn and serve and bless and be for others. Now, being for others or being for someone does not mean I let them do whatever they want. It does not mean that they get away with everything. I love what John Ortberg says. To truly care for people requires not caring too much about their approval or their disapproval. Because I, I want the best for them, and that means sometimes 
I'm going to have to show a little tough love. That means sometimes I've got to come at things a little bit differently. We can't get caught up riding the emotional roller coaster of feelings when, love, when we can love enough to challenge or to call them forward toward their best or into God's best. Nor can we sink away from the bristle effect when they feel like that tough love is too tough and it's too in your face. We have to be delicate and we have to be mature in how we do that because it's the relationship. But that doesn't mean that being for you means you get to do whatever you want. I'm for you, which means I'm for your best. And as a friend, as a dad, as a a coworker, I may see some things that you're missing, the blind spots, and I want to be for your best. Encouragement must be selfless, driven to be genuine, desire to see someone else succeed. If we stay steadfast with our love, no matter the emotions of the moment, because we care about them the most. But we actually care. I say this occasionally, but I want you to hear again. Not manipulation. Friends, I love you. I love you. I am for your best. I want you to live a life that you'll look back 20 years from now and say, what a ride that was with Jesus. I want you to be a follower of Jesus. I want you to live with a thrill of Jesus utilizing you as an active agent for his good in the world. I want to see you thrive and do better things than I could ever do. I want that for you. Because I want to live to please God to the best of my ability. I want to try to live as a person of integrity. What you see is what you get. I got brokenness, so do you. So it's not perfection. I want to live in a way that just calls people forward, that invest in the people around me because I got invested into. And I am where I am and I, I am who I am because of the people who invested in me. And you are too. And I want to pass that on. And so I want to be a person who speaks life into others. And that doesn't mean I just speak nice, cuddly things all the time. That may be that I challenge or or question or begin to wonder or try to listen deeper because I want what's best for you. And I hope you want what's best for me. And that is how we live as people who follow Jesus. In a world that operates differently than that. And we could all pull out examples of the exact opposite of what we just said and what Paul's saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We could list example after example of the world around us, even from examples within the church. But what Paul's saying is, hey, this is the way to live. This is actually the best possible way to live. And so as we move toward a time of closing in worship, I just want to invite you. uh, Of those four things, what one do you think maybe the Holy Spirit's nudging your heart tonight to say, hey, um, can we work on that one? 
Can we take a little journey this fall to work on, maybe it's the integrity side of things, maybe it's just the idea of living to please God versus pleasing people or the world around us. Maybe it's trying to to wrestle with this idea of, okay, um, how do I not make it all about me and I try to speak life into other people or invest in other people instead of just always trying to invest in me? Which one do you feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of saying, hey, for you, knock, knock, knock. Can we work on that one? And I just want to invite you in 30 seconds of quiet before we lean into this song, just to ask God that question. God, what's the one that you think for me? What's the journey you want to take me on? So just take 30 seconds. Then we're going to lean into the song, worship together, we'll close, we on with our night. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to touch our hearts, nudge us, Give us a little shove, a little knock on the heart, our spirit. This is the one. This is why. What's he saying to you, church? Father, we invite you. As we worship you now, as we cement our time, giving our affection and our praise to you, Each one of us has a next step. Whether we've been walking with Jesus for 35 years or 35 minutes, we each got a next step. We don't want to be a people who stall out, get stuck in the sidelines. We want to follow you every day of our life. So what's the one you have for us to work on these next few weeks together? Holy Spirit, encourage us. Minister to us. We invite you in the space of this song to move our hearts afresh and anew, we pray. Spoken 
steps he's the one that who can empower you to live a different kind of way it's not in your effort it's not in your willpower it's in the power of jesus and jesus alone and so friend may you lean in to the power that's available to you through jesus may we lean into that 
to see him grow us to be the people he wants us to be as a follower of him and having the kind of impact he longs for his church to have in a world that needs to see something different. That's the challenge and the invitation. And so before we leave tonight, a couple of quick things. Um, thank you to all of you who give around here. We don't uh, pass a plate here. And so uh, if you want to be a financial partner with the church and everything that we're trying to accomplish and do and be about, uh, you can give in boxes in the back. A lot of folks, most folks give online through the app or online on the website. Um, if you're looking for an e-group or a discipleship group, if you sign up in the discipleship group page, you will get contacted in the next couple of weeks. We've got new groups that are starting, we've got e-groups available. I just wanna highlight the month of October. Listen, watch this. This is on the app. You have this in your pocket. I don't know if you know that. Um, but if you hit down here, events. <gasps> what? There's a list of events. Um, and just some cool things that are happening. We are gonna go and take a trip to Israel in two years. So you got time to save up for it. Uh, if you're interested in that, we have an info meeting next Sunday at 3.30. I will do an impromptu for anyone who can't get to the 331 after service. Uh, but Emmanuel and Elements taking a trip to Israel uh, in two years. And so if you want to hear more about that, you're welcome to. If that doesn't float your boat, then don't come. Um, tailgate, we're going to do our next after party, October 23rd. Wear your favorite NFL jersey, or if you're Lyle, soccer jersey. We argue about football, football. Okay, um, and then... In the month of October, we would love for you, everyone's been to the store recently and they're selling these giant bags of candy. Yeah, have you seen this? It's amazing. Every store has it. Um, we're collecting candy for our Trunk or Treat and Fall Festival on uh, October 28th, a Friday night, 6 to 8, here in the parking lot. Invite families to that, but you can help us hand out free candy. Otherwise, there'll be no candy for children. How sad would that be? Okay. Let's just take a minute and see, just imagine how sad that would be, okay? So don't let sadness reign in our community, okay? Bring some candy uh, the month of October. If you are new here, I'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party, which will start in 24 seconds. Friends, go in God's peace. May his blessing be upon you. May his power empower you to be his active agents for his good in the world. God bless. We'll see you next week.